Indiana fell twice in some really competitive matches against the women of UCLA this past Monday and Tuesday, and I had the chance to speak with Hoosiers head coach Taylor Dodson last Friday before heading up to Bloomington to watch those games. So here she is via Zoom, Coach Taylor Dodson. Taylor Dotson took over as head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers in 2019 and led them to a 13-5 record and a top-20 ranking in her first wild season, it has to be said. Uh, she returns for her second pandemic-affected season and currently ranks 15th in the CWPA coaches poll with, with a very challenging record. We're going to talk about that. Um, they take on second-ranked UCLA twice this coming week, and uh, I will be there. And she joins me now from Bloomington, Indiana. Coach Taylor Dotson, thank you very much for talking with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great. Well, I, I did make mention of that, right? So 2019, 2020 is really, I don't think there's any argument. It's the most disappointing collegiate water polo season that I can ever recall. Um, and you're, you know, you're, but your first season was going really well. You were 12 and five when you beat McKendry uh, on Mar March 8 at the, your Hoosier invite, the one that you host. And then the season just ends. Um, and I'm wondering whether you might want to give us a little insight about how your team dealt with that, what that season was like for you as your first one. Um, maybe give us a little insight about how that all worked. Yeah, man, uh, the season was definitely a whirlwind. And then, like you said, and I mean, just how everything across the whole world just was ripped out from under us. Um, it was extremely fun but challenging throughout the whole year um you know taking something that i had been a part of as an assistant coach but then really trying to rework it and rebuild it and reframe it into something new uh and i was fortunate the team was really bought into to changing what we had already had and um we were we were on such a good such a good path such a good role and we started to see some early success that really was building us momentum and so to have the season end the way it did uh, was, you know, maybe there's some poetic justice in it, but it was, um, like right before our conference, right before our conference games also. Um, so of course it's only fitting that now we play all of our conference opponents twice this year, make it up for some time, but, uh, it was, the team handled it pretty well. We were really sad. We found out, um, as we were in a strength conditioning session in the weight room, um, it got announced to us midway through, but the girls finished their lift and they were hitting PRs and doing a great job. And then, you know, we had a little, a little circle and the girls all got to talk about what was so special about this season to them, or, you know, for our seniors about what, what it meant to them to be a Hoosier. And, um, now here we are a year later. I've spoken to other coaches about the same question and, and they related, you know, just how emotional those kinds of meetings were. Yours is not, I, I would say not unusual. Maybe the setting was a little bit different, but you know, the, but they were, but you know, very emotional end of the season. So I, I, I just wanted to cover that a little bit, but you made mention just now of how your athletes took, uh, took your, the changes that you were trying to introduce into to heart. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what those changes look like for you, because that fits your coaching personality. I expect. Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, from, from the very first day that I got the job, I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night, like sat out of bed. It never happens. Um, and just started thinking of drills and everything <coughs> we needed to get better at needed to improve. Um, and I think that there's, you know, it, I think most teams and leadership is top down. And so I was like, okay, what do I want, you know, from in, in our water polo world, right? And then in the, the greater scheme of, of Indiana University and being a part of, of like the greater Hoosier network, what do I want the women's water polo team to look like, to feel like, to sound like when, when we show up on deck, 
or even before we show up on deck, what are people expecting? Um, and, and what are we gonna leave as a lasting impression? So those were kind of all the questions that I asked myself in, in starting the program, you know, in taking it and moving from there. But a lot of, a lot of what we talk about is, is being a family. Um, I care a lot that we're fit. Um, I think that, you know, I've been, been on teams that are fit and not fit and the way that the game is trending, you have to be fit. You have to have fundamentals. Um, and so that's something that we emphasize every day. And then the family piece, all of our girls are out of state right? None of them were born Hoosiers in Indiana. So it's something that we wear with pride that we all chose to be Hoosiers. And um, that that piece is important to us. So those are those are the things that kind of like keep us rolling on a day to day. You're uh, you're messing up my notes because I, you're this is a question I had for you regardless, which was that you so you're in Indi- Indiana. And I do want to talk about that because you're from Laguna. Are you from Laguna or Elisa Viejo? Elisa Viejo. Okay, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just listed. I, I have a feeling that Indiana put Laguna on there because it sounds more exotic and that you spend Probably. all your day on the beach. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. um, but so uh, Indiana has such an enormous aquatic sports history. Um, but aside from IU, there's really no water polo to speak of in the state. And I'm wondering what, if anything, you can tell us about any movement toward growing the sport there is. And do you see a role for your program in whatever growth that might come? Absolutely. Um, I think that we, in just our, I think that, you know, myself and, and other coaches have, especially out of California, I think we have a big role to play in the growth of the sport. Um, I have loved that we have hosted um, USA Water Polo Champions Cup for however many years, and we're set to host it this fall. Hopefully that happens again. Um, I think that 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 will help just the more people that see water polo and know what it is in our area will help. It's like Purdue has a club team, Northwestern has a club team. So it's there at the collegiate level. But again, it's transplants from, you know, kids from Chicago, Florida, Hawaii, Texas, coming to these universities and playing. Um, I think that the, the scope is difficult because we share, you know, pool space is hard to come by. Um, you know, it's hard in California, let alone in the Midwest and swimming, especially in this state, swimming dominates Indiana. Uh, and so taking you know, making sure that we're, we're non-threatening, right? We don't want to steal your athletes, but we, but we want to steal your pool time. Uh, <laughs> so that's the, that's the challenge. Um, but I think if, you know, I, t- I take a lot of pride in like, we have to do well for the sport to grow at every level. Um, and so that's, that's a goal of ours for sure. I know it's not your job. You have an important position where you are, but w- as an outsider, it just se- it doesn't necessarily make sense to me that there's no club water polo in Indiana. Can you maybe even educate me a little bit? Like, what do you think it would take not to have one club going, but two clubs going? So at least there was some sort of rivalry. Is is it is it possible? And what would it take? The bit I really think the biggest piece is facilities, um, and then knowledge of the sport. The athletes seem to see you know, young athletes need to see it happening in action. They need to know that there is a future in it. Um, and that's something that, you know, basketball's on TV 24 seven, football's on TV 24 seven, baseball, you know, the same thing. So like, if you're a young athlete, what is, what's trending, what's on your social media feed, what's on TV, those are things that you can see yourself, you know, when you visualize yourself doing as, you know, as a young adult, as a, as a college student. Um, and so for water polo to grow, one, you need facility use. I think that's the biggest thing. And then you need to be able to show like those, those athletes need to be taken to tournaments. They need to have other teams come to them. 
you know, there needs to be, you know, as much, as much as they can get in front of the game as possible and get the, and, and get the game in front of them. Right. I, I can't help but think that, you know, because, the, because again, aquatics is so strong in Indiana and uh, I sympathize. I'm in Texas where swimming really reigned supreme until it still does. There's no question. I'm close to UT, who just won yet another national championship. So uh, actually, a small anecdote. I know for a fact that somebody went to UT and said, look, uh, water polo would be a great varsity program for you. What page and a half, you know, how great it would be. And uh, they received a reply that was less than a paragraph. So I'd, thank you very much for your letter. We will not be having water polo because it doesn't make anyway, it doesn't make sense. And maybe, you know, you might have uh, uh, in, insights into that as well. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm digressing. I want to go back to um, your roster, really, because, again, you're dominated by Californians. Um, and I noticed, like, Zoe Crouch from Moraga, Izzy Mendema from, and I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, so forgive me, but from Atherton, they're having great seasons. Um, but they, from California, and you've had a lot of success in the past recruiting specifically from Canada and uh, other places overseas. So what would you say has been the appeal to non-American student athletes playing, uh, you know, of playing in Bloomington? Uh, just for the, the international girls? Any, well, all of them, because there are no native Indianans who are there, right? right? So, or, and maybe there's some from the Midwest who are familiar with it, Michigan and, and Ohio and so on. But is there something in particular that, that has caused you to be so successful recruiting from outside? I think it, it takes a certain type of student um, and athlete to want to come to Indiana, especially out of California. You know, coaches, I feel like it's, we have a couple of girls from San Diego, but it's hard to get girls out of San Diego. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, we, when, when we start the recruiting process, we talk to girls about, you know, what, what it looks like to go to school, A, out of California. You know, you're not just going home on a Sunday night for dinner. Um, and B, in a college town, Bloomington is an awesome place to live. I love being here. It's really cool, but it is not Hoya. It is, you know, it's not, I went to Berkeley. It is not Berkeley. It is not urban. It takes someone who wants, um, you know, a major university feel so that you want it to feel grand in that way, but then also small, like a community because the city is small. Um, so appealing to the girls who want that, like finding the girls who want that is the biggest piece. And then on the other hand, our athletic department takes our team very seriously. And so finding girls who want a big time collegiate athletic experience is huge. Um, we have, you know, our pool is amazing, but it's not just the pool that, that is a top-notch facility. Our academic center is brand new and state-of-the-art. Our athletic training rooms are, we have doctor's offices next to our training rooms. Our weight room is one of the biggest in the country. There's all of these things that the girls, you know, they have at their disposal. But the, the piece I think that's important and when you choose to come to a Big Ten school is you're expected to use them. Um, and so that's another, our, our athletes have a lot of responsibilities because they're supposed to be following up with the dietitian. They're supposed to be going to the sports scientist and, get, and tracking their numbers. They're supposed to be going to the sports psychologist. Um, and, and if they don't, then they're not using all the resources that they have. And that's, that's kind of frowned upon. But yeah, uh, it's... I think it takes a special kind of girl who wants to go out of state and experience something new. And so that's, we really try to appeal to those who want to be the best student athlete that they can be and use all the resources and then also get a different experience from what they have at home. I think all of that is really telling, but I can't imagine that they're also not thinking that they have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. Is that, is that not correct as well? 
I think it's been, it's an interesting question because that's a conversation I've been having with a lot of people. The, at least like our talks here on campus, I know that like in the water polo world, our move from the CWPA to the MPSF, a lot of people are like, oh, that's a death sentence. You'll never go to the tournament now, blah, blah, blah. We could be, you know, sixth in the country, seventh in the country and lose all of our conference games. Um, but our strength of schedule will be so heavy that say, you know, say we, are, we place fourth in our conference tournament. The likelihood of us going to NCAAs is higher than some of these other schools because our strength of schedule is so high. Um, and because the MPSF kind of dominates the at-large bids. So it's, and I'm on the NCAA committee this year, so I'm learning more and more about the whole process. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's been enlightening. Um, but yeah, I, we wear it with pride that we play in the best conference in the country. And it's one of the most competitive water polo leagues in the world. So we're, we're looking for girls who you know, have that chip on their shoulder and who want to be elite. Um, and you know, it's, it's a hard path to get there, but I think no matter what conference you're in, no matter where you are, it's a hard path to get there. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now part two of today's conversation. The MPSF decision, though, was a controversial one. You know that. that. That that was a conversation taking place across the country. What can you? What would you say to those who thought that this was a, a bad idea? Aside from what you just explained, right? The, there's reasons for you to do it, but uh, but you understand how that controversy exists. Kind. I mean, kind of. I you know I've learned so much more being a head coach now than I than I understood as an assistant. Um, and, and every day I learn more and more just about the administration that goes behind it and the, the reasons why decisions are made. Um, and I, I totally understand the move now. I didn't when I was an assistant coach here and, you know, we got the news. I'm like, what the heck, what are we signing our, like, what are we getting ourselves into? Um, but the decision makes sense. We're with universities and athletic departments who are like-minded in our vision, um, who put the same type of resources into their athletic programs. And to me, it really fits. The distance doesn't fit, right? But in terms of like water polo, you know, programs that are as close to the big 10 as possible is the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is the MPSF. So it, it really makes the most sense in that way. Well, and so I'm delighted to hear that. I, I, I've never really heard a, an answer to that question before. Um, but as you said, now you've now you've really brought it on yourself. So here's here are your last eight games, and they're two two each against number eight Michigan. They're not in the same conference. Number two Stanford, number four Arizona State, and then number one USC. And oh, by the way, number two UCLA will be there on Monday to play too. So. I'm so it's been affected. Your schedule has been affected obviously by MPSF, but I'm curious about how much your schedule has been affected by the pandemic. Because if you look at last year's uh, schedule, you're playing McKendry, you're playing St. Francis, you're playing these other teams. And this year it's just very MPSF heavy. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. A big part of that has to do with travel. Um, you know, we weren't, uh, and what other conferences were doing. Um, so the MPSF coaches, hopefully I'm not <laughs> divulging too much information, 
we, I forget whose idea it was, but we wanted to guarantee ourselves enough competitive games so that if no other conference was allowed to play it, like if every, if everyone said no, we're conference only that we had enough competitive games to give a meaningful season to the student athletes. So that's when we decided to do two, two conference games, um, which I think works out great. Um, I also think that it, you know, for like Stanford and UCLA, they went one and one that's huge for, um, it's huge for the sport and hopefully that can happen more. Um, the other piece of it is travel. So because we have to fly and up until recently, you know, vaccines, not, you know, just the unknown. Um, and then also just with budgetary restrictions, we can't be, you know, flying out to Santa Barbara in, in January and playing four teams that maybe are getting tested six times a week, maybe aren't, um, you know, we don't know what everyone else's kind of bubble is like at home. So a big part of that had to do like the limitations in scheduling were, were a challenge. Um, but our administration was great in letting us have as many home games as possible. And, you know, that we're lucky that, that Michigan is, is under the big 10 regulations as well. So they were an easy fit for us to, to go up there to come down here. Um, and I, I mean, we've had what 18 games so far and we've got a decent amount left. We're going to have a good 20 game season. Hopefully everybody stays healthy, but it's, uh, it's been different, but it's been really good. I think. Um, how much have you been talking about next season? And are, are the expectations that you're going back to normal, whatever that means? Um, we really try to look just one game at a time. Only just now are we kind of thinking, okay, what does, because we don't even know what the recruiting rules are going to look like mm. for the summer. So we're starting to think more ahead about what that looks like. Um, but in talking to other coaches in, in terms of like scheduling a season, it's definitely going to look back to our, our old normal. Um, we'll see what the MPSF, what we talk about in our like end of the end of the year meetings. I personally really like the double round Robin. Um, I also think that because there's seven teams, we should each have three and three. I think that, you know, everyone should have three home home opponents and three away opponents, even though we're further away, you let us in. So you got to come out here. Um, <laughs> that's and, what you get. Yeah, that's that's what we fly. We travel all the time, so I have no sympathy on the travel part. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see. I'm hoping for. I'm hope. I'm hopeful that we're going to be out west more and um, be able to host more. That more teams are going to be able to come to us, and we'll have a much more normal looking schedule. As a um, a, a my dad actually uh, graduated from Michigan. How quickly does it take for you to take your new recruits to intensely dislike the University of Michigan? I don't know. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, we don't, I guess like we have a handful of recruits who we end up, you know, end up choosing between us or them. Um, but really we don't battle with them as much as people probably think. I think the, the universities themselves and the athletic departments are culturally very different. The messaging and the, uh, is completely different. Um, even though like it gets cold here, it snows, the weather is completely different. Um, we're a good five hours South. So that's, that's helpful. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's fun. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I loved the big game and loved the big splash with Cal and Stanford. That rivalry is awesome. And so I think it's, it's one of those things that won't like, once you decide the other color just disappears <laughs> from your wardrobe. Um, I didn't wear red for like almost 10 years and then here I am wearing it every day, but it's, uh, it's, it's fun. And, you know, our, we joke that the, our game against Michigan is the, is our big 10 championship because right. that's all we have. 
Um, and so it's, we, we can, it's, it's as important on our schedule as a conference game. You were very diplomatic about that. That's very nice. Like, <laughs> I, I just love these kinds of rivalries. They're so intense, you know, with, with the other sports in particular. So water polo slotting in there is kind of nice. But um, you mentioned also that you just love Bloomington. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, there's almost, there's like a TV special that could be written about you. Here's this Southern California woman who's transplanted to the Midwest and there's landlocked and all this kind of stuff. But you seem to have adapted. Yeah, I love Bloomington. Um, you know, I love I love Orange County too. I love the Bay Area, having spent time there. Um, having spent two years at Wagner, I have a love for for the East Coast and the New York metropolitan. Area. I noticed you didn't say you love Staten Island, and that might be. Oh for good well, reason. nobody okay. loves Staten Island. No one loves fair. the Rock. Yep. <laughs> no, I love the ferry. I love the ferry. <laughs> that is ferry. fun. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, I I just think that Bloomington is a really unique place, and I, being. California is beautiful. Orange County is beautiful. Laguna Beach is beautiful. Um, my parents are not allowed to leave so that I can keep going back there. Recruiting gets me and our team gets me out West enough. So I get my fill of California. Um, had, had we, if we didn't travel as frequently as we do, and if I wasn't out there for a good month at a time in the summer, it would, it would be different, but I love Bloomington. I love just the humility of the Midwest. I love the, the values of, of people here, everyone is really, you know, everybody says, oh, everybody's really nice and friendly. Everyone really is nice and friendly. Um, and there's, there's just less pretense, you know? I love, again, like I love California, I love where I grew up, but there's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses and you don't, I don't feel that here. Um, and that that part of it is really nice. Everyone is, is going about their day and they're grinding and they help others and we're just, everybody's doing the best they can. Um, and, uh, that's speaking of orange County, right? So you, you grew up playing at Laguna beach high school. You happen to get there at the beginning of what is essentially a dynasty and, uh, and, and Ethan D'Amato, who's become one of the most prominent coaches in the U S took over that program in 08, the year before you won your first CIF championship. Do I have those dates, right? 2009 was your first CIF championship. Yours. Right. Um, has to be asked. I mean, you've worked, you have both played under him you've coached with him my understanding is for usa water polo what is it that his influence has been on you oh man i've learned so much from ethan and i still i still learn from him as much as i can um he talk about somebody who grinds um i mean he took over he was i mean in my sophomore year he took over as a part of the coaching staff and he was an assistant coach before taking over as the head coach and he was just grinding. He was watching film when nobody really knew what film was. He was talking to Bill Barnett and, and Dave Michael at Foothill, like trying to get feedback all the time. Um, he, he was, and I mean, and he's still, he's everywhere. Um, he coached both my brothers as well on the boys team. Like he was at, he was at club practices, boys practices, girls practices, morning practices, afternoon, all the night league games. Um, I don't know how that man, like he doesn't sleep even now with the national team. I mean, he's watching film super late. Um, just the, the amount of effort that he puts in, uh, to, and just how he's always striving to get better and to make his programs better, I think is unparalleled. And that's how you see success over so much time. Um, but yeah, that, and then his, his dedication to the athletes, he really cares. He cares about each of his, each of his athletes as a person and his staff. Like it's, I think he's great to work for. Um, he's always been really good to me and, um, that kind of, that kind of, parallel and the the combination of the care and the effort 
is is something that I try to think about every day. Well, it seems so. You you just called your team a family, which is not easy to do because it's a team. It's not you know you're you're not you don't grow up with one another. So it sounds like that you've translated from that. Um, I wanted to talk, uh, talk a little bit about you. So you had a successful career at Cal. You came in. Uh, I noticed this one thing. I noticed that uh, you, at, when you were at Wagner, you were an assistant with, and I'm afraid I forgot her name. I, I don't feel good about that at all. But from Stanford, who I think beat yeah. you in the NCAA championship. So yeah, she did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you resent her to this day for that. But uh, <laughs> um, so a very successful career. Then you went off to Spain to play for one year. And here's the question that I have. It's very curious because. Somebody like me who had zero chance of playing on a team overseas of, of any talent whatsoever, you played for one year. Does it, did, was the one year just because the coaching bug, bug bit you and you wanted to move on and you know you did get your MBA and so on and so forth? Or were there other reasons why one season was enough? Um, the one season was enough because it kind of, it kind of checked a box for me. Mm. Um, it was even as a, as a freshman in college, we had a lot of seniors on the team at Cal at the time. And I remember talking to Camille Huca and Megan Corso about their plans for post-college. They were both going abroad to play. And, and even after I graduated, I had an, an internship in the Bay area with, with positive coaching Alliance. And I was interviewing for a full-time job there. And then my teammate and roommate, Dana Oshner, you know, got a contract to play in Spain. And I was like, you know what, that's something that I wanted to do years ago, this is the only time I'm going to, in my life, I'm going to be able to do something like that. I can work later. Um, and so went and it was, it was great. I loved it, but was ready to like go on with the next phase of my life and ended up coming back and working again for positive coaching lines. And then that's when I got the coaching bug and, um, started pursuing like college water flow jobs. So it didn't occur to you before then that you have, you might have a future in coaching until that the PCA job. Yeah, not really. I mean, I would help out Ethan at Laguna in the summer when I would go home while I was still at Cal uh, in between school years, but it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't something that I saw being long-term at all um, until, until being at PCA, really. Why is it, is it because the, you know, coaching is rough and it's not as though you're going to get rich doing so. Is it because of that? Is it because you had another career in mind? What was it that, and, and how did the, the switch get flipped? I really wanted to work in some sort of, some sort of sports media, um, not necessarily broadcast journalism, but I don't know, some sort of like sport marketing. And um, so the, the, I knew that I wanted to be around athletes and teams and coaches, um, but I wasn't really sure in what capacity. Um, but the PCA job kind of gave me a little bit of an insight into what different roles within sports organizations existed. Our board was comprised of mostly executives from you know, the professional teams in the Bay Area. Um, and, but then the people that I was on the phone with every day were youth sport you know, presidents and coaches at AYSO leagues and high school and ADs. And um, I thought about a lot, of different, a lot of different things, but yeah, it didn't really flip until I started, I was talking to coaches every day and I would go to these workshops with PCA and see the coaches learning tools and talk about their practices and, you know, issues that they were, the that they were dealing with, with their teams. And it made me miss being on my team so much and just all of the teams that I had been on. And yeah, so that, that kind of flipped the switch really. 
How interesting. I, I, I just, I'm curious about this. So, so you earned your MBA from Wagner. You worked under Chris Redmanovich there for two seasons. I two think years. that's right. Yeah. Um, what did, was it the degree that brought you there or was volunteering for him part of the gig or was it both all of the above New York, et cetera? It was, yeah, it was all the above. Um, I, I wanted to get an MBA. That was something that when I was at Cal, I, I had intended to be a business major and then didn't go through with it. And so the, the business degree was a big part of it. Um, the coaching piece was obviously a big part of it. I wanted, and I wanted to be in college coaching. Um, and so that checked off both boxes for me. And then I had, I had a lot of friends in the, in the New York area. And so it kind of, it, yeah, it hit, it hit all three. Very good. Well, um, I hope to meet you at least in fist bump distance when I'm up in Bloomington the next couple of days. But uh, other than that, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for spending it with us. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast. But thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. Production of TWP Sports LLC.